BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's Friday, August 24th, and you're listening to Up to Date, our weekly recap of science news. I'm Kishore Hari. Indre's on leave for a few weeks, so we'll be having some guests join us on Up to Date. First up is probably the most enthusiastic person I know in all of science media. He's formerly a host of DNews, Seeker, and the Seeker Plus podcast, and now is running his own YouTube channel. Welcome, my friend, Trace Dominguez. Hello, Kishore. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, that's right on character, <laughs> yeah, really, right? Yeah. You know what? I got to stay on brand. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us. You've been like the king of putting out essentially like a daily podcast every day for the past, what, like six or seven years yeah, now? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, about 3,000 episodes. So I imagine you keep up to date on science news. I do my best. You know, uh, we do a, an editorial meeting a couple times a week and dig through all the different science news there is out there. I have quite the Feedly filled <laughs> with RSS feeds. I don't know if anyone else still uses those, or, but I do. <laughs> so did anything catch your eye this week? Um, so I grew up uh, about the time that ADD was being diagnosed everywhere. I, I was diagnosed with it in middle school, and uh, I have a background in psychology. So something that caught my eye this week was about attention, because it's a big topic right now with all of the news media having these short attention spans for Facebook and Twitter, and you know no one reads anymore and all of this. Um, and I found this study uh, that was a partnership between Princeton and Berkeley, and it's about how attention is an illusion. Wait, wait, wait. I I can't buy that because there's so much in popular media about how we need to focus our attention on X and focus our attention on Y and yeah. how we multitask yeah. and spread our attention. You're saying none of that's real. Uh, well, what I'm saying is the way we think of attention is an illusion, is not real. So uh, the essentially, the papers add credence to the fact that multitasking isn't real. Uh, we serial task. We are a one process at a time kind of brain. And we do this all the time. In fact, according to the study, essentially, we're focusing on something for only a few milliseconds at a time, but we're pulsing that focus. So if you think of it like the maglite flashlight, right? You twist the end, you get a beam, you twist it back, you get a wide beam, and then you keep doing that, but do it four times a second. That's how our attention works. So you're saying like like the idea of us doing two tasks at once is nearly impossible, but the distance separated between us being able to switch tasks is just on the order of 250 milliseconds? Ish, yeah. So what this study essentially was done with macaques, and what they found was that the macaques could focus on something really, really, for a very short period of time. And I'm not entirely sure how they figured out it was 250 milliseconds, other than looking at 
brainwaves. So they're looking at these pulses and they're seeing their brainwaves pulse. So they probably put macaques in EEGs. Mm-hmm. That must have been the cutest thing ever. Oh my God, I to bet have it monkeys was. wearing like little EEG helmets and measuring the brainwaves. Like showed them like little <laughs> monkey television shows. <laughs> That'd be pretty good. See if they pay attention, you know. Why would we evolve like this, though, just to be able to focus on one task? That kind of doesn't make sense to me because, like, the world is full of threats. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's sort of why, is because the world is full of threats. So we focus on one task for such a short period of time. So imagine you're reading a book. What your brain is actually doing is reading and then going, okay, should I be reading? And then reading and then, okay, should I be reading? And then uh, I'm reading. And then, okay, should I be reading? Which sounds exhausting (laughs) when you break it down like that. But that's just how our brain works. And it's doing it so quickly at four times a second or like 240 times a minute or so that like because of that, we don't really notice it. And our conscious mind just creates a stream that we don't see as an interruption. So it kind of fills in the gaps. Yeah. So this feels like a seamless process when there is no way, shape, or form that the science is telling us that it's seamless at all. Exactly. The science is saying that this is a constant back and forth, but our conscious mind is saying, oh, this is a simple stream. And again, it's because of threats. So we want to not focus too much on one thing. Imagine you're rearing your young and you're focused very much on what it's doing at that moment. You also need to be worrying about predators. You need to be worrying about your environment. What if you know the tree is going to not get knocked down because of a big breeze? You need to be able to be uh, ready to react for that. And the 250 milliseconds, it feels like an arbitrary number. It does, right? Yeah. Like, I wonder how that number came about. Is that, that might be like the distance around how fast the signal is being processed? Yeah, I think the the study was clear that they did use EEGs, and this was the first time they'd ever connected a behavior to brainwaves. Um, So our brainwaves is just the pulsing of of electricity, the pulsing of signals through our brain. We've all seen them in television and in movies all the time and stuff. You see these kind of weird waves that are on some screen somewhere and somebody's hacking away at a computer. But those waves exist in real life, but they're just a measurement of the pulsing of activity in the brain, right? And so they connected the EEGs to their attention, and I'm not sure exactly how. But they said 250 milliseconds was the magic number. Well, next time I'm up for a review at work, I'm definitely going to just say, well... Attention is illusion. That's why I didn't get as much done this this quarter. And hopefully they just don't know the 250 millisecond number. Today's episode was brought to you by RX Bar. RX Bar believes in the power of transparency and lets the core ingredients do all the talking. That's why they list their ingredients right on the front of the packaging. They're the ones who use egg whites for protein, dates to bind, nuts for texture, and other delicious ingredients like unsweetened chocolate, real fruit, and spices like sea salt or cinnamon. RX Bar comes in 14 delicious flavors like mango, pineapple, chocolate chip, peanut butter, and other seasonal flavors. RX Bars are gluten-free, soy-free, and free of artificial flavors and preservatives. They're great for a number of occasions like breakfast on the go, a pre-workout snack, or a 3 p.m. pick-me-up at the office. And they just debuted their new flavor, RX Nut Butter. Each single serve packet contains delicious, creamy nut butter with 9 grams of high-quality protein and comes in three flavors honey cinnamon peanut peanut butter and vanilla almond butter it's squeezable and spreadable and pairs great with fruit rice cakes pretzels and or just straight out of the pouch i love the coconut chocolate rx bar it's one of the tastiest bars i've ever had and it's exactly what i need in the morning 
to get me out the door fast. For 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com slash minds and enter promo code minds at checkout. So we're recording this at Trace's apartment, and I drove over here. And naturally, when I was driving over here, because this is San Francisco, I got stuck in traffic. Like you do. Yeah, it's just the the way of life here. And it reminded me of a talk I was at recently uh, that showed how traffic propagates. And Mm. so the basic posit is that once you have a road filled with enough cards, you reach that enough density that you want traffic to work almost like a fluid. It's basically everything is sort of moving in the same way, and the cars are kind of spaced in a way almost like molecules would be in a liquid. And so that's interesting, but then there's behaviors at the macroscopic scale that interfere with that fluid dynamic. So what they did is they set up a circle, and it was about like 300, 400 meter diameter circle, and it had a set of cars going around in a circle. So when it was like two cars... And then they would give like the instruction for the first car to break. Nothing would really happen. They would just sort of resume their sort of were there static people thing. driving these cars? These are people, people driving these. People not self-driving? Yes. People okay. driving these cars. Yeah. And so, you know, it would just resume and be fine. But when they got to like a critical limit, when there were enough cars in the system where there wasn't much of a gap in between the cars, and suddenly one broke, then the traffic would start to emerge, as oh. you would expect, right? Yeah. Like, like a, every car would start to slow down. It right. would propagate through the circle. Now, here's the funny thing. It takes an incredible, incredibly long time for the circle to get back to like an equilibrium state yeah, once that, that traffic on highway. happens. Ugh. Yeah, everyone knows this, right? Yeah. That once a traffic jam starts, it'll take hours to correct because you have to essentially like eliminate all the regular flow. And so is there a better way to do this? Well, researchers have been studying colonies that have emergent behavior where the Mm -hmm. properties are sort of more than the sum of its parts, to put it sort of, you know, generally. Right. And so one of the colonies they've been studying are how ants work because ants are digging. makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense, right? Yeah. Ants are digging tunnels and they're constantly running into each other. It's like a big highway. Exactly. So like uh, about a decade ago, I think German researchers first started studying like how do ants manage not to get stuck? Because these oh. ant tunnels are only, you know, they're small. Yeah. Like they're, they're ant-sized. They're ant-sized. They're right? very small. <laughs> and so how do you have a tunnel where it's only size is one ant and not get a giant traffic jam? Right. They don't have yellow lines. They don't have white lines. How do they know where to go? How do they know who's passing who? Is it Fred first? Is it, you know, Wilma first? Who's next? Well, the German researchers found there's some way that these ants are communicating where ants will understand that there's too many ants in this tunnel and they'll back up. Whoa. Wait, I, that's wait, like even the not the ants at the jam spot, but ants down the tunnel, no. Yeah, and what how they understood this is, and I want to see a picture of this and I haven't found it, is they built a mini model of like a highway system, like in a like a regular interstate highway system. Okay. With like exits and on ramps. Wow. And had the ants traverse this. And basically when they got to enough flow through the main highway, ants stopped coming onto the on ramp into that area. They would back up and just not join. They basically said, Oh, that's at its limit. Huh. So this week researchers at Georgia Tech took that to the next level. So they wanted to understand like, well, how are they actually like understanding this? And is there like math here that we can employ? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they dug out some tunnels and started to watch ants go through them. And they found that at a certain capacity, the ants would start to back up. 
and just not enter the tunnel. And in fact, like that number was that only about 30% of the ants would be actively digging in a colony because if any more ants joined the the digging uh, as they were trying to basically like retrieve a sugar cube and put it down into the system, it would cause these massive traffic jams. That is so cool and also so disappointing for our highway system. <laughs> <laughs> it is. They took it to the next level, and this is where it gets really weird. So they wanted to see what this looks like at a macroscopic level. Mm. So they built shoebox-sized robots that look like ants, and their job was to essentially go down a track that was about two and a half times the width of, of the robot. So kind of like just like a road and yeah. a car going down a road. And at one end were these balls. Uh, they're like tennis size, tennis ball size balls. They were magnetic. They're meant to simulate moist soil. And these robots had the ability to sense where one of those balls were, pick them up, um, back out of this track, and drop them off in a receptacle. And so what they found is they, when they would load in like about three robots, it worked fine. They would just yeah, kind of robots work. would do it, go through a cycle, pick up a thing, move it back here, pick up a thing, move it back here. At a fourth robot, it all went to hell. What? There was just too much traffic, and now they weren't efficient at removing all of these tennis balls out of the way because they would just spent all this time like backing up and hitting each other. Then they reprogrammed the robots to behave like the ants behave. Yeah. And then it worked perfectly. And basically, the fourth robot just sat there on the side and let the three robots do And it was way more efficient for everyone. Yeah. I mean, the lessons, unfortunately, for us are... Let's have less cars on our road because yeah. we probably have too many. My first thought when you started telling the story was about self-driving cars. And it's like, but maybe this means we can't have individual self-driving cars. We have to share the cars because there needs to be fewer cars potentially. Also, it reminded me of those traffic lights that I haven't seen really anywhere else in the world. But in California, when you go to get on the highway, there'll be a traffic light at the on-ramp. Yeah, these these metered lights. Yeah, and they'll say one car at a time can join the highway. And it's just a way to kind of keep the traffic below the maximum number of cars. But maybe our maximum number of cars is wrong. No, I, I wonder about that, too, is I wonder how we are calculating what are the maximum number of cars that need to be on the interstate, and can we downregulate who's entering these highways, like you say, with these yeah. metering systems or otherwise, or other systems to kind of keep the traffic moving, because even though for those like individuals that are stuck there, basically saying, like, no, you can't get on, the highway is full, even though they might take longer as individuals, the system might go faster. Yeah. Oh, man. That would make me so mad. Though. I would be so frustrated. But I do think that, like, if we had a self-driving car culture, everything was self-driving, right? There might come a point where, let's say you're 80% of the way to your destination on the highway, and they know that some cars need to get on 50 miles back. They'll just take you off the highway onto the side road and be like, well, it'll take you five minutes longer, but you've been on the highway for a long time, and they'll try and make it more... I like the system Equitable. where I like the system where the self-driving cars take it to the next level, and they're like, "Where? What are you doing? Are you just going home? Or are you doing something important?" Start Ooh, to prioritize this. Interesting color that, coding. Now like that it. will make me angry. That would I would still be angry. I'd be like. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, that wraps it up for up to date this week. Thanks for checking in with us as always. Thanks so much to Trace for guesting with us this week. Trace, where can people find you on the internet? Well, I make YouTube videos at my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Trace Dominguez. I also have a Patreon if you want to come and support so we can make more YouTube videos together. And of course, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Everything I do is at Trace Dominguez. And there's only one Trace Dominguez that we know about. As so. far as I know, if you hear of another one, let me know so I can take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up on Monday, I'll have an interview with political scientist Eric Oliver. We'll be talking about the prevalence of conspiracy theories, why people believe them, and whether we can do anything about it. That sounds awesome. Uh, it was not awesome based on how that last <laughs> question ended, but we'll save that for Monday. See you then. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.